0: Watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates.
1: episode of the coach's kid on the sports objective podcast channel join me Bubba Rosenbaum and Kyle Barber on Monday nights at six o'clock as we'll have a conversation with a coach's kid when you're a coach's kid there are definitely many unique opportunities as well as plenty of challenges that come with that lifestyle it is often a transient one you're in the public spotlight where your parent is often subjected to unfair criticism and many consider it to be just a game but for the coach's kid and their families Make no mistake about it, it is a way of life. With each passing year, there is more money involved, and consequently, the pressure to win now is greater than ever before, particularly in certain sports at certain places, be it the high school, college, or professional level. Before we bring in our initial guest, I'd like to welcome in my co-host, Kyle Barber. Kyle,
0: how are you this evening? Doing well. Uh, debut episode of this. Um, excited about it and excited to have our, uh, our first guest uh, starting off in a big way. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, one of the best college football coaches ever, undoubtedly
1: Bobby Bowden. Nearly 360 wins, 357, I believe, to be exact. Uh, many of those coming at Florida State, and right now, very excited to be joined by one of his sons, Tommy. Uh, appreciate you, you joining us, Coach Bowden. Well, glad to
2: be on yours, and this is your initial show. We've had a podcast
1: for um, five and a half years or so now, okay. but. Uh, th- this this show specifically the coach's kid it is the okay. debut epi- episode yes sir
2: well you picked a kid from the winningest family and probably college maybe coaching at all i think my father had 357 terry had about 100 got about 150 and still going i think i had 90 so 600 wins in the coach's kids family which is probably i don't know if it'll ever be matched
1: no doubt um you know Unbelievable, that Bowden name and um, what it's meant to the college football world. Uh, So I'd I'd say take us back there early in your childhood. I know your dad had played at Howard. um, And then I think what initially, um, before he and your mom, Ann, got married, what he had accepted a scholarship to play for the University of Alabama. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, and they were married when he went down there. They eloped and got secretly married, came back. He lived with his parents. She lived with her parents, and you know it's hard to keep good stuff like that quiet. <laughs> so people <laughs> finally find out. I think Bear Bryant had a policy, or Alabama had a policy, you couldn't be married. So he went to uh, uh, back to Howard, which is now Stanford, and uh, finished his career, and then really just about started his coaching career there.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, what are some of your earliest memories of your of your dad uh, during those years? Um, I, I would imagine prob- probably it came at what, what is now Sanford uh, at Howard College.
2: Yeah, yeah, those were my earliest memories remember- of him being a coach. You know, us kids, we down in the end zone, and I remember playing during the game. They had a hill we used to play on and slide on, and I remember making some trips with him on a bus, and uh, we would sleep up in that lug- luggage rack. You know, they play- got the place up above the seat where you put your luggage, and of course, we were guys. We we're probably four years old, five years old. There's a bunch of us. He he let us sleep up there in them lugging tracks, make away games, uh, going away games with him. But that was my first memory when he was at Howard College as as the as the head coach. Coach, how
0: old were you when uh, when he went to Florida State for the first time and became wide receivers coach?
2: Yeah, you know, he went there in 1963. And I believe I was probably about first grade. That's probably around six or seven years old. And uh, stayed there three. He ended up staying three years before he went. Guy named Bill Peterson was the head coach, but he coached quarterbacks and receivers back in I think '63, '64, in 1965 before he went to West Virginia in 1966.
0: Now, his first tenure at Florida State, obviously, Florida State wasn't what they were going to become, but it was obviously a step up from from Sanford. um did, did, As a small child, elementary school, did you did you realize that at the time that he was coaching at a bigger school?
2: You know, uh, yes, no. I, obviously, the size of the stadium at Florida State was bigger at that particular time, probably thirty thousand, not a whole a whole lot bigger than what uh, Howard was, but I, I knew it was a bigger platform, but I was really too young to understand the significance of the Howard to Florida state jump. Uh, he was coaching the quarterback receivers, a guy that you might remember named Fred Bolitnikoff was a receiver. That he coached and they had a quarterback named Steve, Steve Tenzie. I think he played Oklahoma in the Gator bowl. I think won, and then he left and went to West Virginia, but I remember it, but not being that significant of a jump simply because of my age and, not knowing that much about the profession right
1: so when you guys moved to morgantown uh, in the mid 60s talk about that transition and um, i guess that was what during your early middle school years is that right or late 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 elementary
2: yeah they had something called junior high up there which were seventh eighth and ninth grade i started my seventh grade year up in west virginia Ended up staying up there through my junior high, high school, played college there for five years. I was redshirted. But uh, he was there for 10 years. And uh, I remember going to the games. I was you know, in high school and junior high, walking to the games, sitting up in the stands. And, of course, not as much pressure. He was offensive coordinator. They were successful. They won. A guy named Jim Carlin was the head coach and then really understood a little bit more about the coaching professor, the pressures, the stress, once he became the head coach in 1970.
0: What was it like growing up, uh, being a teenager in a, in a college town? Uh, you, you probably, I'm sure, got to interact with the players who were a little bit older than you while you were playing high school ball, junior high ball. So, so what was that like?
2: You know, uh, still was not around the college environment that much. I wasn't a guy that went up there and practiced and hang around. I was playing, you know, high school track, high school football, some baseball. So, you know, I I had other things to do other than hang around the stadium. I remember going to the games, and uh, especially once he became the head coach. But uh, it really, you know, West Virginia, of course, at that time was not a significant player on the national scene. So it was just, it was kind of a job until he became a head coach and had a lot of losing season and they hung him in effigy. <laughs> you know? And I started playing on the team. We would actually call. I remember one time they called a player's only meeting without the coaches. I was on the team and, uh, players criticized my father practicing too long, too much hitting, bad play calling. You know, things typically that guys, 20, 19, 20 years old talk about about, about coaches around. But I remember sitting in meetings where the uh, players were critical of my father and, of course, he turned around and had success. But uh, I remember the the, the the more significant as I became a player in college and then understood a little bit more about the pressures and, and some of the criticism comes with it on a, on a public fashion. Now, you, go ahead, Bob.
1: As you mentioned, that 1970 season, your dad's first as the head coach at West Virginia after four years as the OC, that was the year of the horrific tragedy with marshall your dad was portrayed in that 2006 release we are marshall what are your memories of that tragedy um with the fallen 75
2: you, you know I, of course i remember it very vividly because it got so much national attention and It happened there in the state the airport in huntington is very similar to the airport in morgantown they just take the top of a mountain, bulldoze it off and you you better you better land on it now you better not be short you better not be long but the, the most significant thing uh, I remember about that, the, the movie was very accurate, the way he portrayed my father and the relationship he had. But a lot of people don't realize that about a year, maybe a year before that, he was actually offered that head coaching job at Marshall and turned it down. Or he would have been probably on that plane when it crashed. But uh, But I remembered it was a huge story in the state of West Virginia. I was going to follow up more on that, uh, Coach. And, and you
0: say you remember it. You was your dad's first year head coach. Uh, in, in the movie, it, it is portrayed that uh, that he teaches um, Marshall's uh, head coach the, the triple option, and Marshall installs it. Uh, was, was that accurate? Did they come learn triple option from your dad?
2: Yeah, yeah, that was. I think my father, he got it somewhere. I forget, maybe Texas, or uh, might have been Emory Ballard at Mississippi State, the guy that was the head coach of Mississippi, Mississippi State at that time was was involved with some split-back veer or some option football, and it was kind of new up in that area up in the Northeast. But uh, he shared information with Marshall, uh, opened up the film room to him, uh, to them, and uh, when, when they came up in the movie and met with my father out there, it looked like a lobby, and he set them up. That was, that was very, very accurate
1: as far as how that happened. So, uh, that was all true to form. Yeah, that was, um, I love that part of the movie and just the camaraderie there that you see between coaches, even, uh, you know, rivals there in the same state and, you know, during tragic times like that, it, extending a helping hand. Um, and so as you were wrapping up your high school career, talk about that decision to to stay there at, at West Virginia in Morgantown and, and play for your dad as opposed to maybe going off and playing elsewhere?
2: Well, at that particular time, I, I've been married 47 years, and I've been dating my current wife all through high school, and I probably had a little bit of my father's DNA. I didn't want to get too too far away from her. I didn't have a lot of options. I wasn't very big, maybe 9 150 pounds. I uh, walked on at West Virginia, but I think I had a couple of smaller school offers, but uh, I decided to stay there, try to walk on at West Virginia. My, my current wife was in school. She's a year behind me, but she went to high school with me, West Virginia. I did, didn't want to leave her, so it was pretty, pretty easy decision when, when that was taken into, as a factor.
1: During that, um, during that time, um, I believe your final year at West Virginia was in 76, correct? Yeah, correct. Guy
2: named, a guy named Frank Signetti followed my father. And I I started my last year in 1975 at wide receiver when we went to the Peach Bowl and beat NC State. uh, Lou Holtz, the head coach. And then I stayed one more year. I had a redshirt year. My father went to Florida State. I stayed and played for Frank Signetti and then started my coaching career under him.
1: Right. And and that's that's where I was going with that, that I knew your I knew your dad was at. Florida state from 76 to Oh nine. So I knew your final year had been, had been right. played for coach, coach Signetti. So, so what, what are your memories of that? Of course now, and I'm trying to remember if it was the, was it the late seventies or early eighties when the current stadium at West Virginia, Milan Puskar uh, stadium Mountaineer field was built. Um, but what are your memories of that old stadium?
2: Well, it's just a great place to play horseshoe stadium. I think it's, Seated maybe 35,000. The thing I remember about it is the fans were right on top of you. Uh, there might have been 10 yards between the first row of bleachers, we had a little bit of wall, and then then the playing field. And I can remember being on the sideline, my father being right there, I mean, just right in front of you, and the fans right behind you, uh, and, and right on top of you. Fortunately, when I played, we had a lot of success, so there, it, it was a very pleasant experience because – we had success uh, the year that I started anyway. Now, the year before, 1974, is the year they, they tried to run him off, and he, he, they, he about got fired. But 75 was a, a great experience. The fans, the biggest thing is the fans were right on top of you. It was down by the river, uh, very scenic. can kind of overlook Monongahela River, and uh, very rabid fans. Uh, they weren't burning couches back then, but uh, it was still a very enthusiastic <laughs> crowd.
0: Coach, I wanted to go backwards a little bit, um, and then we'll move back forward. But just briefly, we we, we skipped over your childhood kind of fast. Um, so just just generic question here for you. Just just kind of talk about what your dad was like as you were growing up as a small child. You know, say so the ages between five and fifteen. You know, the, the, those those you know adolescent years. What was your dad like? What was it like having him as a father? And that's a very broad based question. Uh, what was his temperament like? what did he expect out of you as a student, et cetera, all, all that kind of stuff?
2: Well, you know, I, I had five siblings. My, my my father and mother had six children in 10 years, so they're all packed in there pretty tight. Girls for, girl, girls on the ends and the four boys in the middle. And my father, being a head coach at such a young age, we didn't see him very much. My mother was disciplinary, and, and she pretty much raised all six of us. The, 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 the profession – just a man so much from a time standpoint. You you don't have much family time, and he didn't spend a lot of time with us. But uh, the time that he did was was surely quality time. Uh, uh, being a Christian myself, he was a, he's a very godly well, was a very godly man, and uh, that's one of the things I learned as a player. You know, I and uh, I probably coached with him about four years, played for him. And I can't ever uh, – well, I can remember he cussed about five times, and I can remember the situations. It was such a few times. So with football being such a very emotional, enthusiastic, uh, uh, very intense sport, a lot of coaches, you know, their language gets carried away. But the things I remember uh, him as a, a coach when I was a player and as a young coach, when I would come home from high school and they would either lose or win, it was a very balanced uh, uh, personality, very balanced demeanor. A lot of that was his faith. Football is so demanding. uh, He always felt, and I felt, that you needed some kind of stability. The ups and downs of football, the public criticism, the stress, the pressure, the anxiety. You needed some kind of uh, grounding, some kind of stability, some kind of central uh, uh, figure in your life. And for us, that was a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's one of the things I learned. You can win in this profession and be a, a strong Christian. His Florida State teams were just cold-blooded, knocked down. They, they would just they would kill you, and uh, a lot of I like to say my father's my father's teams played from the Old Testament. But he lived from the he lived love, grace, mercy, forgiveness from the New Testament. When he played, when he coached, it was old it was Old Testament. And uh, but that's probably one of the biggest things I learned. It really helped me going into coaching. Hey, you can win and still uh, have a strong Christian faith and demeanor. Uh, about, your, about you on the sidelines and how you handle your team practice, and you can, get, you can get kind of mad at them, but you, there, there's a way to do it.
0: You mentioned your, your father's faith and, and him being a very even-killed man most of the time. And uh, you one thing Bubba mentioned the other day as we were prepared for the show is he remembered watching uh, the, the, the Bobby Bowden coaches show or the Florida State coach's show, whatever it was called at the time, and uh, coach, uh, coach Bowden would always say things like, uh, you know, he would reference a player and then reference his mama making the best, you know, pot roast or apple pie or, or whatever. And uh, just, just talk about talk about that, I, you know, I, him being able to remember his parents and what, you know, what, what mama made. And, and was that one of his, you know, particularly back then when things were a lot simpler, was the kind of man he was, was that the biggest thing that was able to get him in recruits' houses before he started winning at a high level?
2: yeah i think it was he he's you know what you with him what you see is what you get and uh, he was very personal when he went into homes recruiting and he realized like a lot of coaches do most coaches do uh, to sign a scholarship one of the one of the uh, parents have to sign and uh, there's so many single parent homes and, and young men raised by their mother you better you better love up, you better love up on her and you better get her in your corner And he would always mention their names or their parents' names. And my first year as a head coach, when I went to Tulane, I got with my TV guy when I did my show. He said, listen, I want every player's mother's name. And don't give me the wrong name now if I mention it. Boy, he stayed up all night for our first show, researching every mother's and father's name. They had two parents. I mentioned them both. A lot of them have one single parent and would mention them. So that's one thing I learned from him. And I, I think that really helped him. Uh, until he started winning, and then when he when he uh, started winning, he, he, along with his personality and his relationship with family, and uh, it was it was a pretty deadly combination. 14 top five finishes won't be beat ever NCAA record, but uh, that combination of things you just mentioned the the relationship with the family recognizing the mother and the father their importance in their son and then mention on TV a lot of you know these small west virginia homes and small rural communities in south georgia panhandle of florida which is very conservative rural for them to hear their name on TV was it was was a big factor Kyle referenced
1: your father's impact during your adolescent and teenage years so when you were making that decision, what you wanted to do with your life professionally after wrapping up your career at West Virginia, um, talk about any conversations you may have had with with your dad as far as, you know, is coaching something that you knew you or you had known for a long time that you wanted to go into, or was, was that something you were kind of uh, tossing around different ideas?
2: I oh, really, I remember I had to write an autobiography, I think in sixth or seventh grade, and I wrote an autobiography that I wanted to be a college coach. More or less, because my father was a college coach. Had he been a banker, I'd probably gone to banking. Had he had he gone into any other business, CPA, I, I probably would have done that. He'd been a high school coach. I would probably been a high school coach. But he was a college coach, and I wrote a paper early in my career. But I remember one thing he did. He did not encourage or discourage us from going into coaching. He understood the demands and the stress on a family and how difficult a profession it was. I remember one thing he said, he said if you can live without it, don't do it. And uh, that's the kind of advice I had from him. I, I knew early I wanted to do it. Plus, you know, me and Terry, who went into coach, our brother Jeff, we we were kind of spoiled. We sat there and saw one of the best ever uh, arguably one of the top five coaches or top couple in, in the history of least division football, we saw how he did it. He had success. And I think a lot of times we were, might've been under the false illusion that we could have that same kind of success, you know, as we watched him do it in every facet of his life behind closed doors on the practice field in in the locker room.
0: You talk about, you know, maybe having a false illusion, you and your brother, Terry, that you could have the same success. And you had success, you know, you you had the undefeated season at Tulane, you had had a number of great seasons at Clemson. What was it like being always being, you know, I don't want to turn anything negative, but, you know, it had to get to you at some point always being compared to your dad.
2: You know, uh, it really didn't because it took me a long time to get a head coaching job. I, you know, I said, man, I why can't why can't with my father's name, why can't I get a coaching head coaching job? I saw other guys get one. I coached at Alabama, coached at Auburn. I've been a young coordinator at 29 at Duke University, and been a coordinator at Auburn, been a coordinator at Kentucky. I said, man, I cannot get a job. So when I finally got one at Tulane, I didn't really that they hired me with those expectations of doing what my father did at Florida State at Tulane. But one of the things I think that really helped Terry and I have success early, which my first year I won seven at Tulane, which they hadn't done in 17 years. The next year undefeated, which they, which they haven't done since, is because and Terry went undefeated his first year at Auburn. I think we, we felt very confident, Terry and I did, about how to get it done, uh, how to deal with the media, how long to practice, how much hit to do, how to handle staff morale, how to handle discipline on players. You know, uh, game pre uh, preseason preparation, summer preparation, spring. We we had a we had a a, a guaranteed plan of success. So, and, and then Terry had success early, and so did I. So there wasn't like any kind of pressure. Hey, you know, we had four losing seasons in a row, So, hey, we hired you to be like your father. You know, Terry and I both went undefeated before my father did. As far as uh, a, a the the he went undefeated in 1980, but he lost the bowl game. Terry went 11-0, I went 11, 11, 12-0 uh, and went in the bowl game. So, really, we had success early in our career. So, that pressure that you just mentioned really uh, wasn't a factor. Then when we got to playing, when I got to play my father. it brought a different kind of pressure. But uh, there really wasn't that kind of pressure when we went into coaching. then Terry and I both had success early. So, that kind of eliminated that comparison.
0: Coach, I'm going by this off memory. I don't have this in my show notes. Uh, your Tulane team that went 12-0, uh, and 0. it was uh, BYU in the Liberty Bowl that year. Is
2: that right? Yeah, BYU in the Liberty Bowl. Beat them pretty significantly. and uh, But uh, we ran the table undefeated. Terry ran the table undefeated. My father went undefeated in 80 and lost the bowl game. He didn't go undefeated until, uh, I, I want to say, ninety nineteen ninety nine. 1999. Uh, his, 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 I think that's the one. Where he he
0: went number one from st- straight from first week to all the way through. Yes, sir. Uh, Michael Vick and Virginia Tech for the national championship. Correct. Uh, I, I was. I'm gonna. If Bub, Bub, if anything, you wanna you wanna get in before we get into the Bowden Bowl. Uh,
1: I just kind of. I was gonna talk about that stretch, um, and it kind of overlaps that. But then, then you can dive into the the Bowden Bowl, Kyle. But. Uh, the stretch there from the late 80s, early 90s, um 14 consecutive years where Florida State was ranked in the top five. Just what an unbelievable run.
2: You know, Bubba, it was really top four when you get it. I'm going to ask you and Kyle a little trivia question right here. Right now, father had 14. Who is second behind him? There's three teams tied with seven, seven four, top five finishes. You know who they are, three teams? Uh,
1: I would say one that would immediately come to mind, uh, just kind of from that same era. Um, well, can, you know, I would, it can, it can I, I would guess. I would time. guess. T-
2: I'm sorry. Go ahead. It can be any time, you know, in the history. Right. Of oh yeah.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I know you. Ta- I know you weren't. Uh, but I would say just this guy so happened to be uh, rolling during those years out at Nebraska. Tom Osborne. Nope. That's not
2: nope. one. No. Kyle, you got a guess? Oh
0: man! Uh, so w- what was what was the exact trivia question again? I'm sorry.
2: Top, top five. Botta has he has fourteen top five or really top four finishes. Who would who is number two right now? If you Google who who would number two be? Paterna. And there's th- there's three teams tied at number two, each with seven. Okay,
0: Penn State Maybe. and Joe Paterna.
2: Joe Joe, no, Penn State is not one. Okay. Um, uh, Bama. <laughs> uh, no. Wow! <laughs> no, okay, I, have another, I, have in, I have another one.
1: I have another one in mind, but <laughs> it may—I'm um, not sure if he was there seven years because he moved on to the NFL. But Jimmy Johnson in Miami.
2: No, but Miami is the one of the schools. Okay. okay, he was. Okay, F-4. so well, we're I'm after schools, about not head coaches. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, not head coaches. The school. Somebody, oh, my, yes, Miami. <laughs> who? You know who the other two would be? Now, and I will get off this. Southern Cal, uh, Southern Cal yeah. and Oklahoma, Southern Cal, oh, yeah.
0: and Oklahoma. Oh, that makes
2: sense. That makes sense. Yeah. once once you drop out of the top five, you got to start over. That's why Alabama, Clemson, you would think would be a yeah. high state. So once you drop out, Alabama dropped out a couple of years ago. So uh, that that record, by the way, well, I don't think will ever be. Not so much, of course, like you said. Uh, I don't know if Southern Cal's Miami's and and Oklahoma's is the same coach, Barry Switzer. It might be, but. Uh, my father, not only is it the same school, but it's the
0: same coach. Hey, that's incredibly impressive. Yeah, running Florida State. Yeah, those two don't surprise me. I, I was
1: misunderstanding
2: there. I thought we were yeah, guessing yeah, coach, you coach coaches. Yeah, what's yeah, what's it's, it's, it's school? But anyway, we can go. We can go on something else.
0: We we would eventually got there, coach. I would have just kept naming <laughs> schools. <laughs>
2: hey,
0: so, we ain't got a three hour show for y'all to keep guessing. Uh, right, so, so, coach, we uh move on here. I obviously during your time at Clemson uh always marquee matchup I can remember so many times ABC or ESPN watching the Bowden Bowl what was that like for you yeah, and, yeah, and your dad and your mom I mean just 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 from the whole family perspective
2: <laughs> well I found out quickly after that first year he won the national championship in 99 when I played and we were ahead 14 to 3 at halftime he ended up beating the 17 to 14 but all my family deserted me after that game. I'm everybody else. They all, they all went with Florida state. Of course, my, my mother was sleeping with the head coach of Florida state. So she had to root for Florida state. He, he had to get a card, but, uh, you know, he, he won the first four. Then I won the last four out of five, but that first one, first time in history, football father, son had played. Of course, he was number one in the nation. ESPN televised, at, uh, at night, uh, nationally televised game. And, uh, is a great game, but uh, the one thing I remember about that game is my sports information director came to me before, the the week before. We were playing Georgia Tech. He said, listen, I've got so many requests from the media. You're going to have to do some of these on Florida State before the Georgia Tech game. I said, man, that's, that's a deadly curse. You definitely don't want to be talking about Florida State before you play another opponent. They see it as disrespectful, but, but there was so much media at that game, and I remember the week before, I had to do Florida State media questions uh, two weeks before we played them. And, that, and then then before the game, talked to my father on the field, like that picture kind of shows right there, just a the massive amount of media around us as we met at midfield before the game.
0: What was it like beating him for the first time, the first time you won the Bowden Bowl? I'm sure it was a big honor for you, but it probably also had to be a little bit bittersweet.
2: Well, it, it it was because at that particular time, the first year I beat them, they remember three in the nation, probably another chance to win a national championship. And I remember us beating them, I uh, forget what score, it might have been by 10 points or something. But uh, I just I, I remember because I didn't realize Clemson had not scored a touchdown, not not a touchdown versus Florida State in 10 years, uh, with five trips being to Tallahassee. In 10 years, they hadn't scored a touchdown in Tallahassee. So beating them was a big deal. You know, they—they they were the Alabama or the Clemson or the Ohio State or Michigan, whoever the best in the Big Ten is right now. But they were that—they were dominant back then. So to finally beat them, it just gives you a little more credibility. You're allowed to recruit against Florida State and State of Florida. You can go down there and recruit and say, "Listen, you don't have to go to them, but we—we've we, just proved we can beat them." So it really opened up a lot of da- doors from the recruiting standpoint. Plus, gives you a little bit more credibility, your program, more credibility uh, nationally.
1: Yeah, I actually remember that. Uh, that's tremendous stat you just referenced, as far as not scoring a touchdown in all those years in in Tallahassee at Oak Campbell, and um, obviously some tremendous defenses. Uh, and that goes without saying, with uh, you know Coach Mickey Andrews. But um, that's a, that's an unbelievable stat.
2: Yeah, that'd be kind of scared Me, I wish my sports information director wouldn't have told me <laughs> they hadn't scored a touchdown down in ten years. That'd make you feel real good. with A lot of con- I remember from the time we scored a touchdown, in Tallahassee. We thought we won the game. Got beat pretty bad. <laughs> Coach, what
0: was it like? Your dad retired. Was it was it
2: '09? Your dad retired. '09. Mm-hmm. Oh, I left Clemson halfway through 2008. It was a year or two after I left. I'm I'm not sure exactly. That's
0: yeah, Kyle. It, it was, was it was nine. Okay, it was yeah. none Okay, so so what was your dad and your relationship like after his he retired? Uh, did he enjoy retirement? It was you know he coached so long. You you I remember and and if you want to talk about it, sure. If you don't, that's fine too. It, you know, I, I it didn't really feel like he went out on his own terms before he <laughs> after all those no,
2: years. No, that's a nice way to put it. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> Uh, going down there and watching him prepare for University of Florida uh, his last year. And I remember sitting up in the stands with the defense, stay on the practice fields. The offense would go in the stadium and go through their, their script on a Thursday. And I can remember sitting up there talking to him, taking notes, up watching the offense, taking notes, up about, about on the 50, about halfway up. He said, son, he said I got to meet with the AD uh, Monday. I don't think it looks very good. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I turned around and looked at those big twenty-foot letters that said Bobby Bowden Field, and that statue out in front, and what he had done. I said, I said, I'm thinking. I said, There's no way they can fire you. They can't fire you. You you only want one year with what you've done. And uh, sure enough, uh, they fired him a couple of days after that. So yeah, it didn't. It didn't end the way he wanted. He just wanted one more year, but uh, they uh, they didn't they, they didn't see the
0: see the same value that he did no it's ridiculous i remember it very well and i think everybody maybe outside of some florida state fans and some boosters felt the same way that it was a a huge uh, dishonor to your dad and what he had done building a program not from scratch but essentially from scratch and certainly turning them into a national power that they were not before he got there and not letting the man go out on his own terms giving him one more year a farewell tour if you will was just ridiculous, but
1: and, and Kyle, very quickly on that note, uh, while you're talking about what was built there in Tallahassee, you look at the evolution of that stadium, Dope Campbell Stadium, um, when East Carolina played there in the early '80s, and and what it became uh, with the uh, the being bricked in. I mean, it's unbelievable. For, for, from uh, ha- having exposed beams, uh, much like uh, Doughty Ficklin,
2: <laughs> it's the largest but, brick. It's the largest bricked structure in the state of Florida, I believe.
0: So, so Coach, talk about your dad, uh, you know, post Florida State retirement. Obviously, he had tons of grandkids by that point. I think 20 grandkids, if I'm not mistaken. You tell me. Yeah, I think
2: maybe 20 grandkids. He might have had 11 or 12 great grandkids. And uh, he didn't know names, but he played with them. You know, we'd have big family vacation. He'd play with each one about 10 seconds. And go get another one, go get another one, go get another one. Kept him pretty tied up. You know, he's a big golfer. He loved golfer. probably played uh, 36 holes a day up until he was probably in his early 80s. Then he went to 18 a day up until was 88. But he's a big golfer. I remember playing a lot of golf with him once he got out of coaching. And he lived on a golf course in Tallahassee. Uh, he always had to be doing something. He'd, he'd take that little golf cart he had and go out there and chip and putt. And go up to the country club, go down there and chip and just chip and putt. Always doing something, but he loved. He didn't like golf. He loved golf, and actually spent a lot of a lot of his time afterwards uh, playing. A lot. Then he a does a lot of Christian coaches. There, there, there is not a coach alive, any sport, male or female, of his statue. Now I'm talking about his statue that has done more. Christian, I'm going to call it Christian. It's not, you know, we're we're Christians. We're not any other religion. But uh, there's no coach allowed that's done more Christian speaking. He really felt like he was called to do that. So he really, he and I did a lot of speaking together, which was a great pleasure and joy for me. We did a lot of speaking together and traveled together once he got through with coaching. Playing golf and doing speaking, there's not a church in the Panhandle, Florida State of Florida, Alabama, Georgia, he probably hadn't spoke to. Uh, but that's, that's what I remember once
0: he got through, uh, coaching. So it sounds like to me, just, just from doing this interview with you that yeah, I'm sure you took a lot from your dad, but it sounds like the biggest thing you took from your dad wasn't coaching. It was his faith. I
2: yeah, because if you would have seen any of the uh, the funeral services, they had about five services, but the big one in the convention center when Ward Dunn and Derek Brooks and Charlie Ward and Deion Sanders got to speak, it, w- it wasn't so much, boy, that great win we had against such and such and this and that. It was all about uh, the character building and his faith, and I thought that was a great uh, legacy to leave for him but uh, to see those guys get those hear those guys stand up and talk to him more as a a christian godly influence as opposed to you know coaching and he was one of those rare guys that, that did them both he he was a strong christian man that won a whole bunch of games and you no know, they're they're far and few between Dabo sweeney mark mark rick's out of it now but and there's other christian coaches i just don't i don't know them as well as i did back when i was coaching but uh he was my might
1: have been the best ever of that combination. Obviously, coach, for the majority of your life, you know, uh, I started to ask, you know, some of those major holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, you were preparing for games, uh, you know, and all that uh, sort of stuff. But um, those, those holidays, uh, once once you and your dad were no longer coaching, you know, what what's a uh, what are some of those major holidays like in the Bowden household? And um, obviously, is the you know when I think of when I think of myself um, in some of those major holidays, it always involves football, uh, whether it's talking or indoor or watching. So, uh, what's a major holiday like uh, in such a household as yours?
2: Well, you know, and and you you mentioned you 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 kind of hit the nail on the head. A lot of people don't realize it. And they say, "Well, what were your Thanksgivings and your Christmases alike? Well, I, I was playing my pony in South Carolina or some kind of rivalry game. Even I was coaching Alabama. We were playing Auburn. If I was Auburn, we were playing Alabama. My father was playing University of Florida, so we didn't have Thanksgivings together. Christmas, well. If you're not in a bowl in this profession, you'll be fired. I, I was bowl eligible every year I was at Clemson. My father was always in a bowl, so we didn't spend Christmases together. Our big family vacation in July at the beach—we went for one week. We had about—we uh, went for like 51 or 52 straight years down to Panama City Beach, Florida. It went from the, the six his six children to their spouses and grandchildren, great grandchildren, grew to about 50. Those were the things that I think most of my family my nieces and nephews will all remember is those family vacations. It wasn't so much Christmas because I have my grandsons now They they come to my house for Christmas. And, and, and even when I was starting my family, my kids came to my house as opposed to me going to my father's house late to his career. So we didn't have a lot of Christmases together, a lot of Thanksgivings. Uh, the family vacation we had in July for 50 some years was the biggest, uh, gathering of family that we had. It was very, uh, uh, influential to a lot of us and family, and a lot
0: of my nieces and nephews. Coach, as we start to wrap this up, uh, just if if you will, if if there's a quick funny story about your dad, something that make that might make everybody laugh that comes to mind. <laughs> what is a what is what is something some people may not know about your dad? Uh, interesting facts
2: uh you know uh, uh most people that follow his career know how strong a christian was and you know his record i uh, just going back to that bowden bowl just briefly I, I remember we played nine times uh and they were you know for two christian coaches they were cold-blooded knocked down drag out kicking fighting biting hitting late cussing i remember I was very disappointed he couldn't handle his team any better than that. I was just surprised that they weren't more disciplined. But uh, I remember after, my, after losing the first four, my AD called me and said, listen, he said, uh, we hired you to beat Florida State. You can't beat your father. We'll find somebody that can. And that kind of got my attention. So I won the next four out of five. And his AD call him and say, "Listen, we hired you to beat Clemson. If you can't beat your son, we'll find somebody that can." So, so uh, the boy—they they fired us both, <laughs> and that, that was the end of the—that was the end of the Bowden Bowl.
1: Yes, yeah, former East Carolina head coach Steve Logan says, um, "You know, generally speaking, more often than not, uh, football ends badly, and uh, and but we'll shame, wrap up." But
2: you're, you're right. You know, Joe Paterno, it didn't end the way he wanted. Matt Brown at Texas didn't win the way he wanted. I don't know if Tom Osborne even in, in the way he wanted Nebraska. But uh, right. uh, I know that, uh, of course, Urban Meyer, Jacksonville Jaguars didn't. Steve Spurrier coaching the pros. Uh, Nick Saban at Miami. You know, it didn't, they, they they bounced back. But you're right. In this profession, you best be prepared to, to handle, handle the ups and the downs.
1: And, Coach, we'll close with this. You know, as I mentioned in the open, just the impact um, you know that such high stakes has on a coach's family. Obviously, you were in those trenches as a coach yourself. But uh, you know, maybe through some conversations that you had with your sisters, or otherwise, just you know, being aware of what it's like to to, to be a coach or, or, or son of a coach, and just everything that goes on, uh, such pressure to win. You know, what would a piece or two of advice be to uh, coaches, kids out there that may be struggling with that because not all go into coaching, you know, some just, some choose to, to lead less, less public life. Some because they're a doctor
2: teacher, whatever. Well, you know, one thing about the coaching profession, you choose to do it. You don't have to do it. You could do something else. And I think the biggest thing is educating your wife and your children that there's public criticism and be, be prepared for it. That's one thing my father handled. Well, of course, you know, he didn't get a lot of public criticism because he won so many games. But when he did, late late in his career at Florida State and even at West Virginia, when they hung him in effigy in, in 1974 and they voted, I think they, they voted three to two to keep and the president gave the deciding vote to let him, let him stay at West Virginia and he won in 75. But the biggest thing is preparing your family for the public criticism. And it's an education process that I, I witnessed firsthand through my mother and through my siblings with my father. So it was really helpful. And then uh, the other thing, we've touched on it a good bit, but uh, to me is having something bigger than football, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and a, a grounding and a stability and, and some kind of foundation that's bigger than the sport itself is, is helpful, regardless of what you go into. That's That's helpful in business, marriage, raising children, aging parents, whatever it is. So uh, that would be the biggest things I took from
1: my father. I wholeheartedly agree. Very well said, and uh, again, I really appreciate the visit. I mean, that will do it for this initial episode. You've been watching the Coach's Kid on the Sports Objective. Be sure to follow us on social media at the Sports Obj on X, at the Sports Objective on Instagram and TikTok like and follow our Facebook page, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can also reach us via email at thesportsobj at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you, and if you have a Coach's Kid you'd like for us to get on the show, just let us know, and we'll do our best to make it happen. For my co-host, Kyle Barber, and our initial guest, Tommy Bowden, we appreciate you tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time on The Coach's Kid. Take care, everyone.